0: Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today is an incredibly special episode. During Star Wars Celebration, I took a break from the show floor, headed upstairs to the convention center bar, and sat down with my favorite current Star Wars writer, Charles Soule, for a deep dive into his process, his inspirations, and his journey. It was really incredible. This is Talking Bay ninety four episode one fifty one, Charles Soul. So, what was the first step when you were growing up? You're like, this is what I'm into. This is what I'm inspired by. This is what I'm reading or watching. So, so my first question is, have we started? Yes. It's said It's like. Uh, it's like Mark Maron. Except <laughs> just, much
1: worse. It just. It just happens. It, it just, just began. You're just in it. Yeah. So I've been. I've been a. I guess a, a, a lover of fiction, uh, since I was very, very little, I've always been a huge reader. I've always been a, um, a person who's sort of absorbed science fiction and fantasy stories. And, you know, like I, I'm, I'm a really, 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 really fast reader, like, like stupidly fast, like to the point where I'm not sure if I'm, I'm even sort of retaining the things I read. So, so I was, I, I, I was reading, you know, like everything Stephen King had written, every, like the entire, you know, the Belgariad, does that ring a bell? Uh-huh. The It was a series of books by David Eddings, and, and like, I read them all in middle school. They're all, like, they're sort of the the progenitors of, like, you know, like George R. R. Martin's doorstopper books, like real, real thick fantasy books, and anyway, I'm, I'm sort of getting off track, but the point is that, so, gigantic reader, huge consumer of, of, of genre films, just like I, I would assume pretty much everyone in this gigantic building probably was, so I was, you know, I was an 80s kid, so all of the Star Wars was a huge part of it, all the Amblin stuff was a huge part of it, Spielberg, all of those, Lucasfilm, everything. And then when it came time for me to be a, a person who was thinking about what they were going to do with their life, I in college I was very kind of split between a bunch of different paths. Uh, my major in, in college was Chinese, so I studied Chinese for four years. Uh, but my minor was music composition, so I studied classical and jazz composition. Um, I was in a ton of different bands. I just did, you know... I was always I've always been somebody who who has done a lot of different things. But when you get out of college you realize you have to you have to have some money and and I I had taken the LSAT. I don't exactly want to say in a lark, but I just sort of I took it because it was being held and I was there and I I took that test and I I did very well and then so like my I don't want to put this all on my parents because like I definitely saw the appeal, but I, I kind of applied to a bunch of law schools and then I got into Columbia, which is a, like at the time was I think the second or third best law school in the country. Yeah. Yeah, And, and so, so when you get into a school like that and, and the door is open along that path, it just seems like, you know, it's like ripping up a, a, you know, a lottery ticket basically like it seemed like it seemed like the right way to go and so I went through law school I studied and worked hard and, and took the bar and then literally the the minute I walked out of the bar exam it hit me that like now I'm gonna have to actually do this job and I realized that I had, I had made a really like a a very an unforced error like I didn't I didn't have to make those choices but I had so um so what I was looking at at that point was was you know years of working as an attorney to to pay off the loans I'd taken out and different things. And so at that time, I was like, well, what can I do to become the creative person that I actually think I probably should be? And it was like, I could keep trying to do music, which I was still doing at the time. But like, when you're working at a law firm, they're not very forgiving about like just, you know, bailing because you've got band rehearsal, right? They're not, they're not into it. So I thought the thing that I could do at the same time as being an attorney, even if I only got 10 minutes a day at it, I could write. So that same summer, so I took the bar like in July, and then I went on a trip um, to decompress from all of it, and, and on that trip, I bought a like a composition notebook, and I started writing my first novel in longhand, and I have not stopped writing. It, it took a while to get into comics. It took a while to get into the other places that I've been, but but basically, that was it. I I, I knew that I wanted to have a life built around creativity, no matter what it was going to be, and I just made decisions over and over and over again to, to head toward that goal. And it wasn't always a clear path. Sometimes you zig, sometimes you zag. But eventually, all of the the impact of those choices becomes cumulative, and then you start getting opportunities, and then you try to maximize those opportunities, and that's it. it I think it hits a lot of people
0: very close to home when you, you're working your job, and you're like, I do want to do something creative. And a lot of people you know, find their outlet in various ways. But how do you go from it being an outlet for you to it being the career? How do you even be able to make that switch over time?
1: You know, I, I was an, an attorney. I still am an attorney, but I, I, I'm i not a practicing attorney, but I I was working at a, at, a, at a big firm and then I left the big firm and I started my own practice. Um, well, first I, I sort of consulted at another firm and then I started my own practice. And all of those choices happened over a period of, of many years, like, you know, 15 years. And, and, but each of them, if you look at them in the in broad sort of from 10,000 feet up, they're all decisions that were made to give myself more autonomy while still maintaining the ability to make a living at the, the, my profession, which is being an attorney. Because when you run your own law practice, yes, there's a lot of work to do. But if you need to take a day to work on something else, you can do it. You just sort of push it around. When you're, you know, you have a boss, it's different. And again, I was fortunate in that I, you know, when I look at the big picture of my career, I went to a great law school. Let's not. Like, fuck around, right? Like, it's an incredible law school. It's open doors that were available, like, incredible doors, which meant that I was able to open my own law practice because some, you know, like, other people might not have been able to do that. And so, like, all of those things, like, I was able to give myself a way to be self-employed, essentially, that made me, gave me a strong living, but also gave me a lot of flexibility. Like, it's all about these small, like, like getting out of my life and getting into everyone else's life who might be listening. It is, it is never about one cataclysmic fuck this, I'm out decision, right? It is, it is not about leaving your life behind to have the life you want because that won't work. That will fail. I mean, maybe you're that lightning strike person, but generally speaking, it is about being strategic and making a thousand small decisions over a long period of time that end up becoming the big decision, which is I'm going to change my life from where it is now to where I want it to be. And I think that's applicable to a lot of things, not just a creative life. One of the things that's Interesting, again, looking just
0: at your whole career and the way I was first introduced to you is the creator owned comics and all those things that you're able to have a little bit more freedom, try things, and that the success of that book is directly impacting your general career success. And like, you have to really trust your story and what you're believing in again like I was a big Letter 44 fan like that took the comic world by storm at that moment and how do you start working through it again we're talking about the little choices but what was your motivation with the creator own comics and then how did you limitations is a word but how did you grow into DC and Marvel and and really like grow into your own voice
1: That that's a that's a good and complicated question um, but it's it is kind of the same thing right it's it's not it's not easily answered other than by saying I I looked at what, what a writing career could be. So this is this is pulling back from comics and looking at it like, you know, what do novels how do they work? How do you get the opportunity to write one? How do you make money doing it? How long does it take? What are the career opportunities available to you? Who are the people who are incredibly successful? Are most people that successful or are most people not that successful? Most people are not Stephen King. Most people are not the the, the real like mega mega superstars, just like most people are not. You know, Tom Cruise or Julia Roberts or, you know, what have you. Emma Stone. Most people are not Emma Stone. I'm not. Um, you may be. I don't know. We just we just met. Um, so, so you start, like, kind of doing an analysis, right, of, of what you want to do. And the same thing is true, I would imagine, of being a rock star, being a stockbroker, being like anything, right? What are the paths available to me within this life? And what became really clear to me was that you can't just do one thing. I mean, you can, but, like... It, it's, gonna, it's gonna close paths off to you if you become too hyper-specialized as a creative person, certainly as a writer. And for me, creator-owned stuff both scratches an itch. So, so we're t- for those who don't know, when you're writing comics in particular, you can write licensed characters, which would be things like Darth Vader or Wolverine or Batman. You can also, there's a, there's a very healthy market for what are called creator-owned comics, which are where I and my artist collaborators make up the entire story, all the characters, the world, all of that stuff. Um, and you can do both at the same time if you are, you know, fortunate and have the opportunities to do it, but create your own comics, give you a chance to sort of have the total freedom, but you have to build the audience from zero because nobody cares about something they haven't read. They have to be taught to read, to love it. Whereas if you're working on Daredevil, like I worked on Daredevil for a long time and my stories The things I did were directly, the way people felt about them was directly influenced by the way they felt about like Frank Miller's stories or Brian Michael Bendis' stories. They had done incredible work. So people were like, oh, Daredevil can be awesome. Maybe this random nobody is going to give me an awesome Daredevil story. And I did my best to do that. When I'm coming out with, you know, Letter Forty Four, Eight Billion 8 Billion Genies or Curse Words or Undiscovered Country, um, you know, it's it's hoping people will come with me on the journey to to the new world. But at the same time, like that's from the creative side. From the career side, all of those things offer me different things in terms of new doors that they open. I always think about things as like, what what is this gonna, what could this lead to for me? And so, for example, Eight Billion Genies, which is one of the big creator-owned projects I have going on right now, um, is was picked up for development by Amazon Studios in a, in a very competitive, like multiple studio bidding situation, which is awesome. So and every creator on comic can potentially be that and so it 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 gives you a window into this other world that like nobody's going to hire me to write i mean maybe but most likely nobody's going to hire me to write you know, the movie based on the comic I wrote. Like, that apparently, you know, if it's Daredevil or Wolverine or whatever, like, that is not something that really happens. So what do you do those projects for? Why do you write a Star Wars project or a DC or a Marvel project? You write it because Marvel and DC and Lucasfilm have a really robust PR and marketing department that will, like, even working for them, because they're known to be incredibly selective, gives you a a boost. Like, again, who is this nobody who's writing Darth Vader right now? Who is this nobody who just was asked to kill Wolverine. Like, you know, that was one of my early ones. So everything I do, and this is, sounds exhausting and it is exhausting, but literally every single creative choice I make, no, career choice I make is designed to go to a place that I haven't been yet. And it's, it's a, at this point, it's sort of improvisational and instinctive because I've been doing it for a long time. But in the beginning, it was like really, really analytical. Like I really broke it down. How do I get where I want to go? How do I do it?
0: I guess the, uh, the listeners, I, I promise we'll talk about Star Wars eventually. But you, you, again, the ways I was introduced to you are just inspiring to me in the sense that everything that you do, especially on the creator owned side, but really everything, you're very specific. And again, I, I went to the curse words uh-huh. van tour, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, in Dallas. It was great. Yeah. Uh, but like, no one is doing that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But you and your co-creators are doing that, and Eight Billion Genies is a great example with all the different variant covers and how y'all are like mm-hmm. growing that base. Right. And I cannot buy Eight Billion Genies. I mean, I can. I can buy the fourth printing, right. which again is a very smart like, hey, we're just gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna keep building this interest and make sure people can read it and put out the hardcover, like do all this stuff. And the Kickstarter is also a great example of you building an audience. How has your audience grown with you? And how do you make sure? like do you care if that audience follows you from your own projects but then also from project to project to star wars to Mar- you know like how have you seen that kind of grow are people coming in from various angles that sort of thing
1: i mean they seem to be this is this is sort of the the next thing that i'm going to be focusing on because i have like 3 or 4 very significant buckets of my career right now, right? Like I do creator-owned comics, and that's a very specific group of people. A lot of times that's the people who have aged out of reading superhero comics, so they're looking for something a little more you know, unique and, and possibly sometimes more mature, just, you know. So that's a group. There's the group of people who follow my Star Wars work, which are, and even that is segmented because there's the people who are into my High Republic work, and then there's the people who are into my you know mainline Star Wars work, and there's a lot of overlap, but it's not universal. And then you have the people who are following me in my um, my original novel space. So I have my fourth original novel. Uh, no, yeah, I guess it will be my fourth because of the Kickstarter. Anyway, my next original novel is out in June. But I I had one called The Oracle Year, one called Anyone, and then the next one's called The Endless Vessel. And then I wrote another novel at the same time called Chronicles of the Lazarine, which I'm sort of secretly putting out at the same time. But it's right. all it's like you talked about, whether it's van tours, variant covers, weird Kickstarters like opportunities for people to feel like they're going on the journey with me. Because, you know, and that can sound calculated and sincere, but it, it's not, like they are. And and I think if you look at anybody who is is successful at building a grassroots fan base, the key is to make people like, you know, feel like we're all in this together. And, and we really are. Like anybody who supports me, whether it's by buying one of my creator-owned books, buying a novel, talking to me at a show, caring about my signature like engaging with me on twitter it is it is all really really meaningful to me in a way that i know probably sounds disingenuous but it's not like i don't take it for granted i could still be sitting in an office typing away like on filings and shit like that and it, it i am very glad that i'm not i guess okay now now uh, the people that
0: were about to be like no star wars <laughs> and getting this incredible career advice are like okay we'll talk star wars in a second which is you what ten years at Marvel now? Twelve years, yeah, 10 like years in June. Cr- crazy. Yeah. And then what? Twenty fifteen for the Star Wars yeah. run, right? When Marvel it was second or third book of Marvel putting out like Shattered Empire, and then here's a Lando book. Do you want a Lando book? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, I would love Lando. I'm wearing Lando socks. Like Lando is my favorite guy. Like he he's my guy. But then Lobot became my guy. How do you find your voice? In non creator-owned comics, in IP, in but in especially Star Wars, right? Like people obviously read a Charles Soule Star Wars comic for a reason. Have you been able to like figure out what that voice is when when you're kind of within the IP constraints or limitations?
1: Again, this is this is like secret sauce stuff. But I, if I were to say, the reason people enjoy my work in Star Wars, it's because it feels like I, if, if I'm writing Lando, he sounds like Lando. If I'm writing Leia, she sounds like herself. And even when you get down to, like, characters who haven't had as much screen time, like Holdo, for example. And if you age them up or age them down or, you know, like you, you like, Lor Santeca when he was young, like, what was that guy like? And, and so, for whatever reason, I seem to be able to dial in close enough to the way a lot of fans hear those characters in their heads so that it feels there's no, like, disconnect between, oh, this guy doesn't, doesn't know how 3PO talks, what the hell? So that, I think, is part of it. The other part of it that I think is key... Is that I am? I'm a gigantic, gigantic fan. I've seen all of it a trillion times. I love it, and I also have a, a really good sense of the questions that I would want to have answered as a fan. So the things I would want to know. So it. So it is. It. It's not. It's not never, but it's pretty. It's pretty rare that I'm writing a Star Wars story in any space that isn't trying to answer one of those questions. So you read it, and it's not like, oh, this is some random made-up crap, right? It's like, oh, this is this is giving me the reason Lando Calrissian becomes a general in *Return of the Jedi* when in *Empire* he was just some scumbag, you know? And because that's a that's a huge question, right? And so everything I do, whether it's writing about Kylo Ren or you know, an Ewok. I haven't done that yet, but I will do that someday. That's one of the few things I haven't done in Star Wars. write about Ewoks. Um, it's always it's that, and and I am fortunate that I I seem to be able to find those, and the questions that I find seem to be the questions that you guys have. Um, and I like you know I like stories. I'm I, you know I'm I'd like to think I'm okay at telling interesting stories. So, but that's like mainline stuff because it doesn't explain the High Republic at all, um, and that I think was. So, Late of the Jedi was, was the novel that I wrote that kicked off the High Republic. And it landed at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. It had, other than, you know, the haters, you can't make them happy. But other than the haters, it had pretty much unanimously glowing reviews. It seemed to really land. And I think part of it was that I was aware of everything Star, was, Star Wars was at that time. So, I was also aware of what it wasn't at that time. And and I and the other high republic creators like very consciously were like, we're gonna give people something that is that is gonna feel different, that is gonna scratch an itch that people didn't even know they had. Um, and again, I don't I I I don't that's one of those works, Light of the Jedi, that I don't want to break apart too much because it just it just worked. A lot of it was just like channeling things and like doing things and making choices without any real assurances that any of that was gonna work. Everyone in that book was new except Yoda but uh, it sure seemed to. High Republic is so fascinating to me,
0: because I've loved it, and then we're now seeing, this weekend, we're seeing it physicalized in a way, like it's the acolyte robes, and you see Venestra Row, right? You see all these things that are like now coming to fruition, and you also see all the, the cosplayers and the people that have really kind of taken it to, to heart, which is, is really fascinating, and is kind of the world building of the creator-owned comics, but kind of within Star Wars almost. Like, it's very interesting. Have there been any other challenges especially while writing Star Wars that have stuck out to you in terms of whether it's finding a character or finding something interesting. I think the one thing that I was the most impressed by was Rise of Kylo Ren. It was really, again, there were questions and there was whatever, but it also just told a compelling story within that time frame that also you're kind of doing that now. We're like, Okay, like what happens between five and six? Like, you know, like what has that been for you as you get more and more in the Star Wars universe and as you, you're filling in more holes than most and maybe I'll rephrase that when I re-edit this, but but how have you kind of started to come to
1: terms with the universe, that, the 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 sole universe that you're creating of Star Wars? Really, I'm writing this story now. Like I so so I, I just finished. Okay, so there's a there's a bunch of different stories, right? I just finished writing one called The Blade, which yeah. is a which is a. I mean, it starts to get so like. Byzantine, but The Blade is a four-issue Marvel miniseries, which is a prequel to the existing set of High Republic stories that tells the backstory of a guy I made up named Porter Angle and his sister, his Jedi sister, named Barash Sylvain. Now, Barash, her first name, keys into something I made up in 2017 for the Darth Vader series called The Barash Vow. And so this is the story, right? It starts... It is. But but what I realized when I was writing that story was just what you said. Like, this is not a small... It's not like a couple callbacks anymore. Like, there's a whole... If you just want to follow me along, there's a lot of like, oh yeah, I remember when he did that f- six years ago. And like, it's, it's all about sort of linking all these things together in this way that I, as a reader, would find really satisfying and fun. Um, like, you know, to, to, to touch on like Stephen King again, like the, when he started pulling all those things together for the Dark Tower series, it was like, this is, this is the it's coolest the thing I've ever seen. And, and so, you know, I've, I, I was on a, I did another interview the other day and I said something that I, I think is true. There might be a little wibbly-wobbly during the pandemic, but, but basically, as far as I know, I have had a Star Wars story out every single month since 2015. It is every month, which it is crazy. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it is wild. And in many months, I've had like four or five. Um, like, it's been every week sometimes. Uh, it's not quite that intense, although I guess it kind of is that intense. It's a very intense time. It's a very intense time. And so, you know, why not make it sort of a shared mini zone within it? It's fun for me. And, and if people, you know, I, I, I feel very lucky that I've been able to have been giving like, who, who gets this kind of opportunity, right? It's, it's like, you know, giving, being given all of the various keys to the kingdom, except for movies and TV, but like, you know, whatever, maybe, um, and, and getting to tell stories that are not just hopefully good, but, like, mean things to me. Like, it means something. Like, right now I'm telling the story that follows up on the Lando miniseries that I wrote eight years ago about Lando trying to, like, fix a mistake that he made. You know the mistake I mean. I'm not going to spoil it for readers. Um, but he's trying to fix a mistake he made, like, well, like, years ago in, in both in-universe and in, you know, real universe, our universe time. And it is, it's really, it means something to me that, like that I'm going to get to tell a story that I hope fans will like, but also that my work has like, earned me the opportunity to do that. It feels very cool. It is very cool. Um, you're
0: so prolific. And again, the, the Stephen King of it all is kind of overhanging all of this. But how do you just personally stay creative? I, I think it's very interesting to me, right? If you're, if you're putting out so much, what are you taking in to
1: refill the well to like make sure that you're constantly being able to to draw and be inspired so i i don't do interviews like this very often because they make me sound like a maniac which i mean maybe i am i don't know but but basically i am i am it is it is very rare that i'm just like like chilling out um so i i am always reading usually three books at the same time Because I always have a book on my, like an audio book that I'm listening to when I run, which I do a lot, or when I'm driving someplace. I always have a at least one hard copy book that I'm reading, like a hardcover of something or other, or a book, book, book. And then I have an e-reader. I have a Nook, Barnes and Noble's trademarked Nook device that I've had for a long time that I like. uh, That I will read, um, you know, like on planes or like just before bed or you know things like that. So. so that is part of it. So I'm always taking stories in that way. I'm always trying to be very on top of, you know, what are the, what are the hot books this year? Again, this is primarily sort of genre space, but not only, um, so I'm always reading. I'm always, you know, I go to a lot of movies. I am one of those people who, one of those weirdos who goes to the movies by themselves all the time. Uh, so i I see a lot of movies. I find that to be a very relaxing thing to do because I don't take my phone is not out and I'm just away for a couple hours. Um, When I go to a, like, you know, like, I'll work in bars a lot. uh, And when I'm in a bar, I can also have dinner at the same time. So the picture you're getting, I hope, is that I'm rarely doing just one thing. I'm usually doing at least two things at the same time that are moving me toward whatever the productivity thing is that I'm trying to do. But it's also, like, I'm not a weirdo, okay? I'm not. I promise. You looked at me like I was, but I'm not. Uh, I just love it. It, it, it never really feels like a chore. I mean, there, that's, that's a bit of a lie. There are times when it's like, holy shit, how am I going to get through all this? That, I'm, that it is exhausting and tiring. Uh, but I always do get through it. And then it, it, it's great. And most of the time, like I have some huge things coming up. I have, I have carved out tentatively July and August for myself to, to have a more, a, a, a schedule that would feel more recognizable to most people. And I'm very excited about it. Uh, but then it's going to ramp right up again in September with a lot of things, and I'm I'm jazzed about it. Like, that's, that's, you know, like, I've got this energy. The, the muse is there. Uh, I have the, oppor- you know, the opportunities are there. Like, when, I mean, uh, it's it's great. That's how I do it, I guess. I don't know if I just... I'm very, like, nose to the grindstone, pedal to the metal, in it all the time. I'm, like, drowning in story constantly, either taking it in or putting it out. I love it. It
0: also makes me feel a little less crazy, because I have this... I do... I have my audiobook, I have, my, I have a Kindle from eight years ago that works, and then I have my hard copy book on my bed stamp. so that's it, it works, it's great. Let's do, we, we can do plugs now, we, we've got, we can do some plugs, I would love to talk about upcoming High Republic book that you wrote with your daughter, which I think that's such a fun, again, talking about opportunities and talk about ways to like get to a new audience and, and understand audience, can we talk about that just briefly, and then we can move into other, other things that you have going on.
1: Uh, yeah. So my, my daughter uh, is is sixteen. Her name is Rosemary. She is amazing. Uh, she's here. She's here in London actually, which is cool. Um, and she she is somebody who is 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 like me in in a lot of ways, which is which is you know I guess good good and bad. Um, but uh, she also loves telling stories. She's super super creative and. But she's also somebody who's going to go away soon to college, which I'm super excited for her to do, to spread her wings and fly into the life she's going to lead. But the idea of, of creating something together, and it isn't just I wrote it and then she put her name on it. Like, we wrote we wrote it together. There was a lot of back and forth, like, arguments. I don't know, whatever, maybe we should do this. But in particular, because this project called Jedi Brave in Every Way is a, is a kid's picture book for, like, kids six to eight years old uh, I am not six to eight years old, and Rosie is significantly closer to six to eight years old. And it's about, the book's central theme is fear, right? It's a, it's a book about Jedi and, you know, Jedi and fear, like it's a, you know, you can see the themes there, and it's, it's some younglings who are afraid of the things they're gonna have to do when they're gonna be Jedi, and so it's, it's Yoda, like, helping them get over it. And so, when I talk to Rosemary about, you know, what are kids afraid of, she's like, well, I remember being afraid of this and this and this. And two of those things were things I I think I probably was afraid of them, but I just didn't, I didn't, I would never have thought of them. And so the idea of getting the, like a, a more childlike perspective, I think has made the book a lot better. And also it's just awesome. Like writing a book with your, with your daughter and four little kids and the art is gorgeous. And it's, you know, I'm very, very excited about it. Uh, I'm about to go to a publishing panel in a few minutes where uh more of that book will be revealed she'll be on it which is good and so you know there's been a little bit of like do i want to expose her to the star wars audience at this age Um, and so we had a lot of talks about like what she would do and what she wouldn't do and like there were opportunities for for her here to be like on like big like on the big live stage thing and all that and and you know i decided as her dad and like we decided like we talked about it, it just seemed like that's that's a little much but, but this seems like, you know, the Star Wars fans are, are awesome. High Republic fans are amazing. Uh, I think, you know, the book's going to be embraced. And I, and I hope she has a good experience with it. I would hate to think, like, some one of her first kind of big steps into the creative, a creative life or creative world would be negative. But so far, it's been very positive. But I'm, I'm, I'm always excited,
0: again, to see authors taking a chance to doing something. And also, it being a tangible, like you were saying, a journey, right? To be like, hey, now we can have this illustration now we can you know we can we can expand this world together, which I think is very nice, but what else is coming out? You have a bunch of stuff coming out <laughs> um, i i will I will plug eight billion Genies as a really just like breath of fresh air. Uh, I read a lot of comics and there's a lot of comics that all sound and look the same, and that one does not um, and I believe that that will be collected and, and coming out soon for and that'll be easy for people to read um, but what else
1: can people find you pretty immediately? Uh, and what are you excited for people to read? Um, so my next my next big original novel uh, is called The Endless Vessel. It's it's a big like it's a big swing for me. It's I don't know if you've ever read anything by David Mitchell yeah. or so like it's kind of like Cloud Atlas in terms of like it hits different time periods. It's it's about this big kind of you know it's essentially a treasure hunt book, but. But it involves, like, secret societies from the past who built this awesome ship and have been sailing ever since. And it's about, you know, the, the despair that kind of, like, digs into us in this modern world that we live in and, and trying to get over that. And, and, you know, how do you be happy in a world that seems to insist that you shouldn't? But it's also got, like, robots and cool, like, it's very, it's very like, badass science fiction adventure but also is dealing with really deep questions about life and love and, and all of those things. And I, I am extremely proud of it. It almost killed me to do it. Um, and so as soon as I knew when it was coming out, I'm like, well, you know what I should do? I should write a whole other book set in the same world and, and try to get it out to everybody in a different way. And so what I've done is set up a Kickstarter for this second book. So the first book's The Endless Vessel, uh, June 6th from Harper Perennial. The second book is called The Chronicles of the Lazarine, And it is a, a companion novel, like you read them both together and you get a, a much more complete story. Uh, and, and I was able to, you know, as part of that bundle in like a special edition of the first novel, like do a, you know, all the Kickstarter bells and whistles to, as we've been talking about, make it feel like this is the way that if you really love my stuff and you want to support it and you want to do something special and get something special out of it that I've made just for you, like I wrote you a whole book, my special friends, um, this, is, this is the only way you can get it. And, you know, will, will I maybe put out Chronicles another way down the road? Maybe. I don't know. But right now it's just this. And it is, it's a risk because Kickstarter, like, your ass is out in the wind, right? Like, if it doesn't fund, like, that's a reflection on me and my popularity and all that stuff. And, you know, fortunately, this one funded in, in 36 hours. And, and it's still ticking along. And there's, like, you know, stretch goals and all the stuff to make it better and cooler. Uh, but it's really, you know, I feel I love doing weird things. Like, whether it's, again, getting in a van, doing a Kickstarter for a novel that nobody, nobody knows. You know, it's not like this is a Star Wars project. Um... Because you just, it keeps me interested. I think it keeps my fans thinking of me as somebody who's going to do things that are interesting, yep. and I think it's I think it's really good. So so that's one thing. Um, you already talked about Eight Billion Genies. Uh, I don't know if hell this. Oh, Hell to Pay. Yeah, that's God. That's another one. So, um, so so I had two big creator-owned series come out last year. One was Eight Billion Genies, which you talked about. Um, Everybody on Earth Gets a Genie and One Wish at the same moment. Hardcover collection of the eight issues for that comes out in June. Hell to Pay is the first of seven graphic novels I'm doing with my friend Will Sliney uh, that are like this horror adventure thing. Um, He was the artist on Rise of Kylo Ren for Star Wars fans out there. And the, the, the premise is basically that there's this sort of, there's a supernatural cold war going on in the world with all these different magical entities based, like magical sort of MI6s, because we're in Britain, right? Based in different parts of the world. The the one that we focus on in these seven stories is called the Shrouded College. And it is based here in Britain. And it is sort of, Kind of like a evil Hogwarts for grown-ups. Like it, it finds people who are potentially could be agents for it, and it offers them deals they can't refuse. You get magic in exchange for signing a contract with us to, like, essentially do a supernatural Mission Impossible. And and as we explore the seven stories, you'll meet different people who have taken that deal, uh, and and then sort of it, it builds up to this big like Avengers Endgame kind of thing. But the thing that's fun about it is that the Shrouded College is losing. Like they are the like, they are very, very far and away the underdogs in this thing. And so it's, they're real shitty to, like, their people uh, because they kind of have to be. And it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't want to call out any countries, but it's like, what's a small country? Um, what's a small country? I don't, how big is Yugoslavia? Is that still, is that? No, uh, that's not a country that exists. So let's say, <laughs> let's say um, Papua New Guinea. Right. Which is a, which is a fine country, you know. They're 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 doing it. It does exist, which helps. They're doing hard, but they're pop, They're doing well, but their population's is not you know enormous. They're a small. They're a very very small island nation. And so the idea would be if they were going up like full on against like you know Russia, United States, and China, like how would they do it? And so that's that's what the the sort of premise of Strata College is. So that uh, we just were about to finish the first story, which is called Hell to Pay. The second one called Bloody the Bloody Dozen, which is vampires in space, comes out at the end of the year. Um, that's just going to keep rolling for the next several years. Uh, So those are going on. Um, I have a lot happening in the Star Wars space, all of which will probably be announced by the time in 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 minutes. Yeah, Yeah, uh, we just announced that I'm going to be writing the last High Republic novel for the the big publishing cycle, which is amazing to be bookending it. Nerve-wracking, but amazing. So that's something I'm going to be working on very, very hard uh, next year. Um, between now and the end of the year, end of 23, I have, like, I feel weird. To, I know, like, these things are going to be revealed tomorrow on, on the panels, but, like, there's a, big, there's a big thing in the mainline Star Wars thing that I've, I've been writing for a while that's going to be really different and weird and cool that will be announced tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, lots, man. There's probably, like, I literally have so many things that I forget them, yeah. so. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully that was pa- painless. It was a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. It was neat to like talk about this stuff in a in a more, you know, not not quite as much of a surface way, which was which was good. So I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much again to charles as well as his assistant tommy who helped coordinate this entire thing absolutely fantastic of course for more updates on charles's work as well as the option to buy signed copies of it head to his personal website CharlesSoul.com. if you're enjoying the show please head to apple podcasts or wherever you listen to these episodes and leave us a five-star rating and review it really means the world That's all for now. Until next episode, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.